as we look at the third message in this series, Transformed. And what I want to talk about today is going to be very practical. I've got a homework assignment for you. I know you're going to love that. Um, but I'm going to help walk you through that homework assignment here this morning uh, to kind of give you a heads up and to understand what it is I'm asking you to do between this week and next week. I want this to be a very, very practical series so that you begin to take what you're learning and actually put it into practice. It's one thing to sit and hear a sermon, and I know that in 72 hours, you've already forgotten 95% of what I've said up here. Um, it doesn't make me feel bad. It's just the way it is. That's just the way we are, we are designed. Um, but if you take something, a principle, and you begin putting it into practice and interfacing it with your everyday life, those are the things that you remember. Those are the things that ultimately change your life. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, just as a reminder, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So he says we're in a war, we're in a battle. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. In other words, you're not going to pick up a gun or a knife or hand grenade or some ballistic missile that's not going to work in this kind of warfare. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And where does it set itself up? In your mind, right? And that's why he says, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So how many of you would agree that there's a battle that goes on inside of your mind, right? So we all have battles that go on inside of our minds. For example, a battle that constantly wages war in my mind is the battle between fear and faith. I'm, I think that most of us as followers of Jesus, we have that battle that goes in our minds. In one instance, like we're just like fearless, man, like we, we're just going to trust Jesus and he's called us to do something and we're just going to like go out and do it. We know he's with us and he's empowered us and the Holy Spirit's and, you know, empowered us to be bold and to do what it is that God wants us to do. But before we even get engaged in what it is we're about to do, all of a sudden fear begins to oversweep our minds and just begins to overwhelm us. And then all of a sudden we are crippled and we step back in panic and anxiety and worry. And what if this doesn't work? And what if I look foolish? And what if I don't know what to say? And what if I don't want to do? And what are they going to think about me? And this might wreck and ruin our relationship. So this battle ensues inside of our minds on a daily basis, fear versus, versus faith. And uh, therefore, most of life's battles, and this is the very first point on your outline, most of life's battles are won or lost on the battlefield of your mind. Your mind is a battlefield, and you are waging war every single day in your thought life. As the video says, nobody thinks about you more than you do. You might think everybody else is thinking about you, but I'm telling you they're not. Nobody thinks about you more than you do. And the thoughts that you have today are the same thoughts you pretty much had yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before. It's like that ongoing tape recorder that just never seems to stop. And so what it is, the conversations that you have in the inner part of your brain are the conversations that you maul over and you lose sleep over and you worry over on a daily basis. The good news is what the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 is, listen, we do not have to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. That is, we don't have to, that, that word pattern means a mold, like a jello mold. You don't have to formulate your mind around lie-based thinking that 
Satan is interjecting into your thought processes and that you've developed through the course of your lifetime, he says, no, you can be transformed, and the way you transform your life is through the renewing of your mind, because God understands the mind is a battlefield, and the battles won or lost in your thought processes. Change your thoughts, you can change your life. Now, the Apostle Paul instructs us on how to do that here in 2 Corinthians in chapter 10. And so in the very first message, we said, listen, the very first step to transformation is you have to experience salvation. You need to experience a relationship with Jesus Christ, and here's why. Because transformation is not about making cosmetic changes in your life, all right? It's not about, well, you know, I think I want to stop biting my nails, or I, I, I want to be a nicer person, or, or some kind of cosmetic changes. God, God does his deepest work in the deepest part of you, in your spirit, in your soul, and so salvation is about God reversing the effects that sin has had upon you. So when you came into the world, remember, from Adam and Eve, you were spiritually dead. Uh, that is, you had no connection with the God who created you. You, you. you needed life. And so there was death there. There was barrenness there. There was, there was no connection with God. There was no hearing of God. And, and so you needed new life. And that's what resurrection power is all about. That's why we did it on Easter, right? So when, God, when you enter into a relationship with Christ, God says he breathes into you the breath of life. He indwells you with his Holy Spirit. He empowers you with his Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that enables you to live a transformed life. This is not something you do on your own. It's not something done out of sheer human willpower. It is actually God himself working out the salvation that he is working in you. That does not mean that you don't have a role to play because you do. It's not like, okay, I got saved, God, now just sit back and while he transforms you. No, there are things that you must do, but God has done everything needed to be done in your life for that transformation to happen. And then in Adam and Eve, you know, progressively they died in their, their soul, right? They experienced things like fear and, you know, um, anxiety and conflict and relational issues and all these things that we experience. So God is in the process in our lifetime here on earth is to begin to reverse the effects of sin on our lives so that where we are in, held in prison, where a mental stronghold has been established that works itself out through various behaviors for which we develop and grab hold of some coping mechanism to deal with that problem issue, God says, I can release you from that. I can set you free from that. I can put your feet on a different path that leads to an entirely different destination. And as for my body, yes, it's going to die physically, but God's not done with it yet, right? God's going to resurrect it, as Kent uh, so uh, graciously talked about the resurrected body last week. Uh, I didn't tell him to preach that, but it, it fit in beautifully, right? So, you know, God's not done with your body. He's going to, going to remake your body, a glorified body, reunited with your soul and spirit, and thus you will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever and ever, devoid all of the effects and aftershocks of sin in this world and in your life. Now, the, the mind is the key component, for the Bible says, so as a man thinks, or a woman, so is he or she, right? So your thought processes is, is what determines how your life goes. And for most believers, our lives are on a merry-go-round, 
right? You, you see things that you want to change and you try to change, but there are deeper issues that are really driving those behaviors that you never get around to tackling. It's a stronghold. And unless you release, you demolish the stronghold, your life's just going to be on a merry-go-round. You're just going to be around. I love merry-go-rounds. That's very, one of the very first rides I ever, I got a picture I'm going to show you, me and my granddaughter. Uh, yeah. So like we're out here on the merry-go-round and this is the way life can be, right? Is that you get stuck on this merry-go-round and every single year you think, oh, next year's going to be better. Next year's going to be better. Oh, when the kids grow up, it'll be better when they can take care of themselves when they leave the house, it'll be better. When I retire, it'll be better. And it just never gets any better because you're on the same merry-go-round. And you can change locations. You can change jobs. You can change marriages. You can change a lot of things. But wherever you go, there you are with your thoughts. And that's why we stay on the merry-go-round. I want to get you off the merry-go-round. I want to show you how to get off of it one thought at a time, okay? I'm not going to ask you to tackle 73 thoughts, okay? We're going to do one at a time. Nobody can do 73. And so Paul, the apostle Paul who wrote this in 2 Corinthians, he knew this, right? Romans chapter 7, you remember the argument he's having in his mind? He said, man, I find myself doing the very things I don't want to do, and I, I find myself, I can't do the very things that I want. And he goes through this gym, mental gymnastics about how he's so frustrated with himself because and what he was saying is, I'm caught on this merry-go-round. How do I get off? Well, this is where he tells us how, how to get off. And here's why this is so, so important to us. And this is the second thing in your outline is because your life is always moving in the direction of your most dominant thinking. Always. It can't, happen. It can't be any other way. Whatever your most dominant thinking is, that is the direction of your life. Remember, your thoughts download into your emotions. And your emotions oftentimes become the governing source of your life. It's a bad governing source, but oftentimes we rely upon our emotions as the governing direction of our lives. So we want to we change our thoughts because until you change your thoughts, you're not going to change the way you feel. Until you change the way you feel, you'll probably not change the way that you act. The things that you do, the way that you approach life, the way you see life, the way you see God, the way you see yourself, how you make decisions, the whole nine yards in this thing we call life. What we tend to think comes out in our lives, which shows that many problems that we deal with are really just related to wrong thought processes. A lot of relational issues and marriages, bad thought processes. A lot of addictions, bad thought processes, eating disorders, anxiety, depression, bad thought processes. Now, I will give you a caveat. If you're a person who suffers from mental disorders, that is a true thing, okay? And what I'm going to share with you is not going to address all of that. If you, if you struggle with mental disorders, you need help. You need to see a doctor, a psychiatrist. I would suggest a Christian psychiatrist. They approach it much differently, or at least a counselor. You need help. You cannot do that on your own. You need help. You need help from a prayer team. You need help from a counselor. You may need help from medications. I'm not discounting any of that. But most of our problems are just because of bad thinking, lie-based thinking. The life you are living right now is a reflection of the thoughts that you've been thinking all the way up to this point in your life. This is where you are. And you are where you are because of the way you think. 
The secret conversations you hold in the privacy of your mind are shaping your life and your destiny little by little. So I'm going to take a little uh, break here for just a second, and um, let's do a little thought audit, okay? Uh, let's think about what you actually think about. What, what is your, your natural default thought process? So on a scale of 1 to 10, let's say um, on one side, uh, do you tend to be more worrisome or more peaceful in your thoughts? In other words, when you get up in the morning, do you tend to worry uh, or you, do you tend to to move towards like anxiety and fear and, um, you know, I mean, you get up and you're thinking like, oh, you know, what, what if this happens and what about the kids and what if this happens? And so your thoughts are constantly negative on the worry, fear, anxiety side, as opposed to you get up and your, your thoughts are more peaceful. You're thinking, you know what, today I'm going to cast all my cares upon the Lord because I know he, he knows what I have need of and, and I know that he has peace that can surpass all human understanding and that will guard my heart and mind in Christ. And so I'm going to pray to him and I'm going to be thankful to him. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do his work in me. Is that you on the scale or maybe you're somewhere in between? So I, I guarantee you that somewhere in this thought audit process you land I mean, isn't it amazing how, how our mind automatically wants to go to the negative? It's just, it's just it's like a magnetic pull. For example, you might wake up one day and you think, man, I've had this splitting headache for three days. I must have a brain tumor. Or, oh, man, I'm, I, you know, I've been feeling some discomfort in my chest. I must be having heart issues. Well, you, maybe you are, but maybe you're not. So we tend, though, we tend to go to, to the negative side, and we have to fight against that, all of us. Here's the second category. What about, um, do, do your thoughts normally, again, just drift towards negative things or positive things? In other words, do you wake up and find yourself like, um, just, you're just critical of life, you're critical of people, you're critical of your job, you're like, like, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and this is the way it is, this is the day I'm going to have. Do you tend to wake up that way or you tend to wake up more, more positive? Like, man, it's going to be a great day and, and, and God's got some great things going to happen today and I, I just believe he's going to use me today in a very positive way and I'm going to have an impact on somebody's life. In fact, Father, I'm just praying that today my life can be a blessing to somebody else. Lord, did you just bring somebody across my pathway that, that I can minister to? Where are you in the, in the audit process? Where, where are you, you in the, your thought processes? Or here's, here's a third category uh, do, does your mind gravitate more towards worldly things or eternal things? Worldly things that are temporary, your mind's always gravitating towards what you have, you don't have, and, and things you want to buy or don't want to buy, or the things that you wear, how much money you, ha you possess, or what everybody thinks about you. Or do you realize, you get up and you think, you know what, this, my life is such a gift from the Father, and everything I possess is a gift from his hand, and I'm a steward of those gifts, and Lord, I just pray I can, I can steward what you've given me well, and Lord, because I care about people, and, and man, they are, they are of eternal value to you, and I just really want to pour myself in. Where are you on the thought audit process? Where are you on the, what do you think about the most? Here's one thing I do know. You cannot have a positive life with a negative mind. It ain't never going to happen. If your mind is constantly swayed on the negative side of things, on the worldly side of things, on the worrisome side of things, and fear and anxiety, you're not going to have a positive life. It just can't happen. 
What you have done is that you have cut ruts into your thought processes that you tend to automatically default to. And so anything that happens, you, you just kind of lapse over into those default thought processes. I'm just asking you the question, are your default thoughts more negative than positive, more worldly than eternal, more worrisome than peaceful? Because if they are, we got some work to do, right? Because God wants you on the other end of the spectrum, right? He wants you to have peaceful thoughts. He wants you to think in terms of eternal value, and God wants you to think in terms of, you know, what, what, what is eternal? What is positive? What, what does God want to do? Listen, I, was, I understand this because I was, I was consumed with negativity, uh, you know, early on in my life and because of hurt, all right? So I was hurt deeply. You got, most of you all know my background. My dad, you know, left our family, and, my, and I was just hurt deeply through all of that, and because of that internal pain that I didn't know what to do with, I didn't know how to process it, and so I just kind of stuffed it on the inside. I just became very negative, you know, and, and life is miserable, and the world's miserable, and, and you know, and I didn't, never thought I was, I was filled with worry and self-doubt. I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not smart enough. And I had somebody, a significant family member say, you'll never amount to anything. And so that like, like beating me down even more. I was bullied in school, in junior high school. And, and so I had that constant barrage day in and day out. And when you have all of these negative thoughts, what happens is they begin to create a neurochemical change in your body in your, that secretes out of your brain. We're going to talk more about this next week, the science side of this, but um, just know that when you think positive thoughts, you get a surge of rewarding neurotransmitters releasing a very legal and exciting drug called dopamine, right? So we all know about dopamine, whether you knew how to, the term or not. So it's like the feel-good drug. Something positive happens to you, like you get on Facebook and you float something out there, man, people are liking it, and they make all these positive comments, and, and so you've just hit the dopamine button, and so it's like a buzz, it's like a, 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 a legal high, right? And so we love dopamine. You can also get dopamine uh, surge by exercising, but you know, who wants to do crunches, stomach crunches, when you can eat 50 Nestle crunches? I mean, which, which one do you want to do? But so this is, this is a very real thing to us. Well, what can be in the positive also happens in the negative. And so in the negative, there is also brain secretions and chemical releases that can drive you into things like anxiety and depression and so on and so forth. And so you have millions of these pathways that you've developed over time. And again, they have become your th- default thoughts. This is where you go to. This is where your mind travels to on a day-in and day-out basis. It formulates the grid through which all of, all of the information you take into your mind has to filter through that grid. So if all of your life you had thoughts like, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, nobody wants me, nobody's going to love me, I'm going to be single the rest of my life, and, that, and that's the grid you formulate in your thought processes. Listen, anytime somebody pays you a compliment... It has to filter through that. And by the time it gets through the filtered grid system, you're thinking, well, they just want something from me. They don't really mean that. that that's, all right? So w- this is how messed up we are mentally, all right? We're all a mental mess, all right? Just tell your neighbor you're a mental mess. Get that off your chest uh, this morning. Now watch this. 
If you, if you believe, and listen, this is all lie-based thinking, because who's, who's the father of lies? Jesus said, this, Satan, our enemy, is the father of all lies. Did you catch that? All lies, not some, not part, all of them. And so if you've developed these neurological ruts based on lies, what happens over time, because this now creeps into your subconscious, your default thoughts, is that you take what is a lie, and you begin to take that lie and treat it as though it were true. I am unlovable. I am stupid. I will never amount to anything. Now you've taken ownership. Sometimes we make it in inner vows. You get hurt. I will never let somebody hurt me like that again. I will never. When you put that, I will never, cha-ching, becomes a part of the grid. And it's a very dangerous place to be. You know, I used to race motocross, most of you know. And here's what you never want to happen to you as a motocross rider. All right, so motocross, um, you know, they have deep ruts, uh, ruts in the track because the Motorcycles have you know, big knobby tires. And so as a race goes on, the ruts keep getting cut into the track, like into the corners, over the jumps. And when you, you, know, when you, you hit a jump and you're lighting your bike out there like a long, long way and you're about to come down for landing, here's what you cannot do. You cannot let your bike land cross-rutted, which simply means that your front tire hits in one rut and your back tire hits in a separate rut. Because the minute that happens, here's what, here's what the bike does. It just goes, and you're flying off of it. So you, you, you can't get cross-rutted. And so this is what Satan wants to do to us. He wants to keep us cross-rutted, always keeping us tripped up, always trying to confirm in our minds that you cannot change. It'll never be different. It'll never be better. You, you're on this merry ground. You've been on this merry-go-round for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, however long it's been for you. You know, what you need to do, Greg, is you just need to change locations. You just need to change marriages. You just need to, you just need to have a different car. You just need to buy something. You just need to do this and that and the other, and that will make everything better and get you straightened out, right? So we do those things because we believe those lies, and nothing changes. But once you learn, watch this, once you learn how to root out the old lie-based thinking and replace it with truth-based thinking, and you, you cover up the old rut, you cut a new rut, a new neurological pathway, and when that becomes your default mechanism now, your default thought processes, it's just like, it's like learning to drive a stick shift in your car. At first, you had to think about every move, push in the clutch, do this, do this. And, and you know, you're trying to drive and you're, you know, uh, and after a while, it just becomes automatic. You don't have to think about anything. Have you ever been to an, an accountant and they're sitting there with, well, you, know, a you know, a calculator or, or an adding machine, they're like, you're like, how in the world are you doing that? Right? Because it's become a part of their default mechanism. It's become the part of their th default thought processes. This is what I want to happen for you. You have to learn how to cut the new neurological pathways in your thought process so that your mind gravitates towards that automatically rather than towards the negative side, rather than towards the worry, the fear, the anxiety, 
all the other things that are creating problems in your life. So how do you take control of your thoughts? So uh, in this series, I'm going to give you three points today, and we're going to just, I'm going to highlight them to give you your homework assignment, but we're going to drill down on these for the next three weeks, okay? Because I want you, uh, so I want you to come up with something for me, and I'm going to tell you what I want you to come up with. I want you to bring that with you every week because we're going to work on your problem, not your neighbor's problems, not your spouse's problem, not what you think are your kid's problems. I'm talking about your problem, all right? So here's the very first thing. You have to identify, you want to identify the biggest stronghold that is holding you back in life. What's the biggest stronghold? I said, I just said, Identify the biggest, the one, again, not the 75, because you probably got 75. We're going to learn how to tackle the one. And once you get the one, the biggest one, then you'll move on to that. It's kind of like debt rolling with um, Dave Ramsey, right? You pay off the small debt and then you, right? But we're going to reverse that. We're going to work on your biggest one because once you've tackled that, then the other ones are be- will become more, less and less difficult to overcome, to get you off that merry-go-round, to get you moving in the right direction. For example, you might be battling with identity, and you feel like, you know what, I'm just not lovable. And you've said that a thousand times in your mind, I'm, I'm never going to be good enough, I'm never going to deserve this, I'll always be this way, and, and so you're, you're unhappy, and you're thinking, here's what Satan comes along, he just comes along and says, you know what, what would really make you happy, if you're single is you got married, that'll do. So now this unhappy single becomes an unhappy married person. Because now you've set your spouse up with an expectation. I expect you to make me happy. You've just set them up for failure because God never designed for somebody else to make you happy. They might contribute to your happiness, but they can't make you happy because until you find it in here, you'll not find it anywhere else. It's just never going to happen. I don't care how far you travel, where you go, who it is you marry, how much stuff you possess. That's why even gazillionaires get divorces over and over and over again. Because it's not about how much they possess. It's not about the money. It's about what's happening inside your mind. A stronghold is a self-imposed limitation that is based upon lies. Always based upon lies. It's like a mental fortress from which Satan can operate. Now last Two weeks ago, we talked about why it is so difficult for us to think differently. And the reason it's so difficult is because my old arguments always made sense to me, right? The reasons why I did things, like I could argue myself into something, that making it seem like it's a really good idea, a really good thing to do, only to find out it's not, right? If you ask a kid, why did you lie to your parents, right? There's a reason. Now, they might say, well, I don't know. Yeah, you know, right? There's a reason behind everything that we do. The second thing is my old mold arguments made sense to me, and my old opinions felt good. Um, just ask people on Facebook. They, they love it when your opinion you know, gets a lot of likes. doesn't mean that your opinion is truthful, and it doesn't mean that it's good. It just means that everybody else agreed with it. And this is what happens in our minds, right? So we, we start looking for people to, um, like, we're about to do something, and, and usually, like, the Spirit gives us, like, a check, says, ah, it's probably not a good decision, probably not the wise thing to do, so we just look for the opinions of those who are going to agree with us so that we can move forward and feel good about it. 
right? My old, my old mind is opposed to God. Romans 5, 7 says the sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to his law, nor can it do so. And so, um, you know, whatever comes naturally in your thought processes probably are in opposition to what God says in his word. If you don't believe this, that we're in opposition to God, just let me go to a young person who's a Christian, follower of Jesus, and say, you know what, this dude you're, you're dating that you're thinking about marrying, you know they're an, an unbeliever, and the Bible says, eh, no, not wise thing to do. Watch how much pushback I get. Why is that? Because their mind's in opposition to God. They're thinking to themselves, I know better than God. I, I, this is who I love. This, I, can't, I, can't, <laughs> I can't help who I fall in love with. Oh, yes, you can. Uh, you worked at falling in love. You can't help. Uh, so this is just the battle that goes on. Or my old thought patterns come naturally to me. So this is why the Bible says that the reason why you and I are not on God's same track system is because we don't think alike. Your thoughts are not like his thoughts, and therefore your ways are not like his ways. Now let's, let's, let's pull this into a stronghold. Let me show you by an example. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Shawshank Redemption? Right, they only play it 100 times a month. Uh, come on, get on board. The so Shawshank Redemption is about, you know, guys in prison, and uh, I'm not going to tell you about the whole movie, but there's a man in the prison, his name's Brooke, and Brooke is, has been in prison for 50 years, and he works in the library at the prison, and, you know, takes books around and helps pass around contraband uh, and gets paid for that, and so Brooks is about to be released. He's getting paroled, and so all of a sudden, he goes ballistic, he takes a shank, and he holds this guy, and he's going to cut his throat. And people are like, what? what's going on with Brooke? I mean, Brooke has never like said a crossword to anybody before. And now he's about to slit this guy's throat. And so they finally talk him down, and he gets paroled, and he gets a, you know, a little menial job. They give him at, at a grocery store, and they give him a little apartment. But that's all he knows. He goes to the grocery store, he comes back to his apartment. He's there alone. He goes to the grocery store, come back. And so finally, after a couple of weeks, he hung himself. And so Red, who was a good friend, who had been in prison now for 30 years, is talking to Andy, who's only been in there a short period of time, as to why Brooke committed suicide. I want you to listen very closely to what he says. I'm going to read it word for word so I don't get it right. He says, when you get into prison, at first, you hate the walls of prison. But then you get used to them. And over time, you come to depend upon them. You see, it was fearful now to live outside of the wall, outside of the stronghold. Watch this. Paul said, this is what he meant by the word fortress. It's like you're in a mental prison. At first, you hated those thoughts, but then you began to kind of nuzzle up with those thoughts, not really thinking about those thoughts and the effect they're having on your life, and then you come to depend upon them, and you cannot imagine life outside of those walls, you are absolutely fearful of giving up that stronghold. This is how clever Satan is. And this is why we stay on the merry-go-round. Now, here's the end game in this. You develop what the Bible calls double-mindedness. Remember in the book of James, James in chapter 1 talks about being a double-minded person, unstable in all your ways, being tossed to and fro by every wind and doctrine. Here's what double-mindedness looks like. Here's the battle that goes on. I really want a good marriage on one side, but I really want to stay selfish on the other side, right? You know the Bible talks about mutual submission, right? 
giving up your selfishness, going from a big eye to a little eye. When we're non-selfish in a relationship, we get along well. If somebody's selfish, it's not going to go well, right? And so this is what a double-minded person better, you know, I really want to have good marriage, but I'm not giving up my selfishness. Or I want my private addiction, but I still, but I really want to have a growing relationship with God. Probably not going to happen. Because that addiction is going to become is always more important than anything. Been there, done that. I want my impulsive purchases at the mall, but I really want financial stability and security. Or I I want my anger whenever I feel it, and I want to express it the way I want it to express it, but I really want some lasting, meaningful relationships with others. Or I want my fears and my anxieties, but I also want some emotional stability and peaceful days. That's a double-minded person. Unstable in all their ways. This is why it's like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You never know what you're going to get until you push the right buttons. This is what Paul is talking about. We, we hated that. I hated the, the anger in my life. I did. I, hate, I hated the way I expressed it, but I didn't want to give it up because I got used to it, and, and then I, I was fearful living outside of it because it, for me, it was a mechanism to fight back. And all of the bullying and all of the uh, mental gymnastics that I'd gone through in my life. And so it was very double-minded. God says, we got to remove that stronghold. Now, fear is a secondary emotion. It's always driven by something else. So what's it being driven by? Double-mindedness is a refusal to face a choice. We actually can't have our cake and eat it too. Now, watch this. The double-minded person... It doesn't just affect you, it affects everything. Let's say, for example, I'm double-minded in my finances. I really want some financial stability in my life, but man, I'm not giving up my spending habits, even though they're causing me trouble. So what happens? Now I have no financial margin in in my finances. Now my wife and I are warring with each other over finances because when there's no financial margin, there's nothing but stress and strain. It doesn't go away. It's with me 24-7. And so then we're at each other's throats. And then that filters down to our kids because now they're getting on my nerves. And, you know, and then I start you know, yelling at them. And they're on my nerves. And if I can't you know, do something to them, then you know, the poor dog walking across the room looks at me wrong and I kick him. Right? You see how this filters down? All because of a thought process that is driving the behavior. The behavior is the problem all right, that is being expressed, but it's not at the root of the problem. I have to get down to the root of the problem because that's where the stronghold is. And until that stronghold is dismantled, this behavior over here never changes. You, you get the picture? All right, so I've listed some general strong, some generational and general strongholds. I'm just going through these really quick. Um, generational things are things that were handed down to you from your family. For example, it might be that many people in your family, as you grew up, dealt with their their um, um, problems through um, substance abuse. Right, drank too much, drugs, 
whatever it might have been for them. That was their coping mechanism. That's the way they made themselves feel good. That's the way they numbed themselves. And so they just stayed inebriated in order to not have to feel the pain and to deal with life. Or maybe it was materialism where, you know, it might be that you grew up poor and you thought to yourself, you know what, I'm never going to be like this when I'm an adult. But now, but, but now all of a sudden things became too important to you and, and enough was never enough and you all got to have more or you're trying to prop up your low self-esteem by having more and more stuff, and this becomes a driving force in your life, or it might be uh, gluttony or other food disorders. This is how bulimia, eating disorders transpire, sometimes out of the family, or sometimes you may have had a mother that really, nothing brought her more delight than to watch her kids eat, because that's what brought her delight. Every time she felt bad, she ate. Every time she was worried, she ate. Every time she was happy, she ate, and she wanted you to eat. Uh, My stepmother, I mean, I was a kid, and listen, I've got a healthy appetite. I could probably eat most of you under the table. Most of you know me. I can do that. Uh, And when I was a kid, she would just like pile our plate full of food and you had to eat every last bite before you were allowed to leave the table. And sometimes that might take hours. So there's generational things that you, you carry along with you. It might be lust. Maybe it's pornography, sexual perversion. I mean, David passed that on to Absalom. You know, Absalom was David's son. And, and after all that David did with Bathsheba and all the things that transpired there, when Absalom overtook David's throne, the very first thing he did, he went up on the roof and he slept with all of his concubines because he wanted to show his dad, listen, I'm in charge now. You're out of here. And where do you think he learned that kind of behavior? Good old dad. Selfishness can be a generational sin. It's only about us. We only do for ourselves. We don't do for anyone else. But here are some general strongholds. Um, this is on your outline. And one is self-righteousness. I don't need God's forgiveness. I'm okay. I can, you know, I don't need to be saved. I don't need a savior. I'm a good person. If that's the pattern of thinking that causes you to constantly look at others and oftentimes consider yourself superior over them. So these are just general things. There are specific um, strongholds that are rooted in these. Number two is self-deception. I deceive myself. I don't want to hear from God because I don't want God challenging me. I can't hear from God. So we deceive ourselves and think, well, I've tried to hear from God and I've tried to listen to God, but it doesn't happen for me and it will never happen for me. And, And if God were to speak to me, he needs to speak louder because some reason I'm not hearing him. And uh, I don't think he's dealing with me. I don't think he's ever confronting me about anything. And so then ultimately what you say in life is because you're on the same merry-go-round and nothing changes your life. Well, this is just the way I am. You're going to have to accept me the way I am. Take me or leave me the way I am. That is just the way I am. And you like it or lump it. Let me tell you something about the gospel of Jesus Christ. God accepted you in Christ as you were, but he has no intention of leaving you there. The Bible says it is God's will to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Not just say, well, this is who I am. Just accept me the way I am. Okay, I'll accept you the way you are as long as you're trying to move forward and becoming what you're not. See, we just think God's just like this jolly old grandfather up there. says, well, okay, you got, you got your, your, your get-out-of-hell-free card. Just do whatever you want. Live however you want. You know, just be you. Do you, and I'll do me. That's not his desire. That's not his intention. Self-loathing is another one. I don't believe God loves me. I don't feel worthy of God's love. The truth is we are not worthy of God's love, but he loves us anyways. And those of you who have a stronghold believe that love is only gained 
through worthiness. In other words, you spent, have spent your entire life trying to earn God's love that he wants to give to you freely. And this can really mess up our minds. And here's the message of, of, of the mindset of the self-loathing. I am never enough. Never. No matter what I do, no matter what... What I say, no matter how, I, I'm, never, and I'm never enough to God, I'm never enough to my wife, I'm never enough to my church, I'm never enough to, and so this is self-loathing mindset. The next one, self-centeredness, I don't seek God's will, I'm the master of my own fate, I'm the captain of my soul. Instead of praying and pondering, you just kind of choose and act. And self-centeredness always says, what is best for me, I don't care who it hurts, Self-confidence. I don't want God's help. I want to get it done myself. There's only, there's only I on my team, and so on and so forth. So this is just kind of helping you kind of narrow down, just framework some strongholds that may be in your life. And, he, and this is the next thing on your outline, because uh, I'm about out of time. Listen, here's why I want you to identify this. You cannot defeat what you have never defined. Right? If you define your stronghold, you can defeat it, but you'll never defeat it until you define it. You can't defeat what you, don't, you haven't defined. Because Here's the thing, is I want you to identify the stronghold because we're going to drill down and find out what is the lie that is pushing that stronghold. You've got to unearth the lie. What's the lie that I'm believing? What is the lie that has centered itself in my default thought process? What neuro pathway has that lie Created in my mind. So here's three ways you can do that. Is one, identify the problem. In other words, while you don't know the lies maybe that is behind your problem, you certainly know what your problems are. Right? So what is your biggest problem? Right? What is the lie behind that problem? Because what you're going to find, there is a lie, there is a stronghold that is keeping that problem alive, more than likely. So you ask probing questions. Let's say, for example, your problem is consumer debt. You're constantly battling with consumer debt. And every time you, you go out and make another purchase, you come home, you feel guilty about it, so I'm not going to do that again. I know I shouldn't have bought that. Or, you know, we're barely paying the bills now, and my wife's going to be so upset with me. And so you've got to ask yourself some probing questions like, why am I really doing this? I mean, really. Why am I really doing this? When did this start? How did this make me feel? What fear is driving this? Is there a certain trigger that prompts this behavior? See, you might discover that your stronghold is envy. Envy is that stronghold that says, I deserve what everybody else has. They don't deserve it. I deserve it. I should have it. I should get it. And so envy is one of the seven deadly sins. In fact, I'm going to follow this series with that series, the seven deadly sins, because those seven deadly sins, I can almost assure you, are at the root cause of your stronghold, one of those, one of those sins. So we're going to take what we learned in this series and apply it to that to get you even further free than you already are going to be, right? So you ask these questions, you pray for God's help to pinpoint what is the root of this behavior? What is the lie that I am believing? And it might be the lie you're believing is, you know what? If I just had better stuff, I would fit in. I would feel better about myself. I would feel more worthy. I would have more self-worth if I just had more stuff. And these might be the lies that you're believing that is driving the behavior. Or maybe it's a self-destructive habit or an addiction, right? Every time you sit down in the evening, you got to eat a gallon of ice cream, right? A gallon of ice cream is not good for you. I'm just telling you. It's not bodily good for you, 
right? So I'm all for ice cream, but gallons are a little bit excessive. Or maybe you come home every day and you got to have not one drink, it's two, three, four drinks, and then it just, you know, it just escalates from there. Or maybe you have to take pills, or maybe you've you got to smoke pot, or maybe you've got to you know, do some kind of drug uh, in order to kind of you know, zone yourself down and, and just kind of, oh, this, is, this helps me relax, and I'm just kind of you know, getting prepared for tomorrow, and, but I need this. So you need to ask, or maybe it's you, you keep turning to toxic relationships. That might be your addiction. Why do you keep turning to toxic relationships? So you ask probing questions. Um, what's driving my behavior? Really? <laughs> what, and the, re- the reason I put really in there is because you're looking for where you're, you're sitting in self-deception. Remember what the Bible says about your heart? It's deceitful above all else. Who can discern it? God can, but you often can't because you, you're self-deceived, right? So... Um, does this, what, what does this does do for me when I think it's going to help me? What is, what is different about this habit from all the others? Why can't I quit? And so your conclusion might be, well, it helps me relieve stress or it gives me a temporary feeling of peace. And you may realize uh, something is just providing you a momentary endorphin rush, but it never ends in a good place. So you want to pinpoint the, the lie. It could be that you believe that, you know what? God just can't be trusted. I've got to be in control. I can't, I mean, I've got to call the shots and whatever it might be for you. So here you identify what is your stronghold. Let's probe down and try to find the the basic lie that's driving that stronghold. So you want to ask the questions, ask probing questions, ask the Holy Spirit to unveil this for you because your heart's too deceitful to do it on your own. I'm telling you, he will unveil the lie that is driving the behavior Here's the second thing you do is that you name the truth out of God's word that demolishes the stronghold, right? Lies cannot stand up against the truth. You have to to fill the bad rut, the neurological pathway that is rutted in lies and create a new rut that is created in truth. And you say, well, pastor, um, Man, I, I've tried that before. I, you know, I've, I've tried that whole verse thing, and uh, you know, I just don't. I don't. It just doesn't work for me. I'm gonna tell you why. 179 hours a week, Satan has access to your mind, bombarding your mind. And if you think a few five minutes a week is gonna do it for you in God's word, it's not. Right? It's just not. If your Bible's sitting on the shelf, if it's in the backseat of your car, and you're barely opening it up, you will stay on that merry-go-round for the rest of your life. So here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God has given us a weapon, and when Paul talked about the armor of God, what did he say? That weapon is what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God When God's word was written, it wasn't just written by human beings. The Bible says that those individuals were guided by, pulled along by the Holy Spirit so that what you and I possess in the word of God is literally the breath of God, God breathing himself onto us through written word. And so the spirit of God has the power to take the word of God and to demolish the lie-based thinking to construct, reconstruct 
truth-based thinking that can enable you to dismantle that stronghold, to knock down the walls of that fortress as you bring that thought in obedience to Christ and you begin to live it out. And here's the third thing you do is you make a declaration of statement of truth that you're going to keep rolling over in your mind over and over and over and over again. Now, I'm, I'm going to close with this illustration. I, I have a lot of other things I could give you, a lot of other examples, and I will do that along the way. Um, let, let's, let's just use me. Okay, I'm going, to, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be unveiling a lot of things to you during the course of this series. It's not good for my reputation, but uh, hopefully it's beneficial to you. So when I got saved and I, you know, I wasn't discipled and I got saved, you know, when I was um, almost 16 years old and I, I admittedly, my, my walk with Jesus just wasn't all that great, you know, for those first few years, I was still struggling with all my old sinful patterns and, you know, because my thought processes had not changed, right? So I could, I could substantiate why I was doing the things I were doing, even though there were sinful things and they were not, not good for me and not good for anybody around me, but I could justify them in my own heart and my mind because my heart was what? Deceitful. I'd not learned about how do I utilize the truth of God's word? How do I leverage the Holy Spirit? And, and how do I make declarations that are going to help me dismantle this stronghold in my life? And so when I decided, you know, I was working as a commercial pipe fitter and I decided, you know, what, we got engaged in the church. We decided we started working with a youth group and we said, you know what, let's, let's really, I, I thought, you know, I'm really going to go in with God, man. I'm, I'm like, I'm just going in with God. And Reverend Crawford was our pastor and Reverend Crawford like was like 88 years old at that time, I think. They had all white hair. I called him Moses because he's just like Moses. And, but he was a very wise man. And so uh, he helped me out and kind of getting me, you know, started down the right path. And I'm, I'm reading through the scripture. And all of a sudden, as I'm reading, and it's in the, late in the evening, and God says, I want you to quit your job and go into full-time ministry. What? Okay. Um, so what did I eat that night? Like, uh, what's... So immediately... Immediately, I began having thoughts like, who do you think you are? You're totally inadequate. You're insignificant. You're not smart enough. You're not educated enough. You don't know enough. You're insecure. You're an introvert on top of that. And just like I'm getting bombarded. Who do you think is bombarding my thought processes? Satan is. So what's the battle in my mind? Faith versus fear. Am I really going to give up a very lucrative job to go into something that I really don't know much about? I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I'm like, dude, I barely even know the Bible. I, I, I couldn't even have told you what books are in the New Testament, and you're calling me into full-time ministry. So I was so confused, I went to Reverend Crawford, and I said, you know, this is what go is going on inside of me, and this is what... And so um, he, he sat down with my wife and I and talked with us at length about that. And, and all of a sudden, um, a very wise man says, you got to anchor your faith in truth, not in what you're fearful about. I know a guy who's administrator at a college. I think I can get you in there. 
And so then I, I come across some truth, right? Psalm 139 that says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. Here's what gathered my attention. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. All, watch it. All, all the day, who ordained my days? God did. If God ordained my days to be in full-time ministry, then who was I to say no? He did this before the foundation of the world, before my body ever came out here on planet Earth, as I was being formed and fashioned in my mother's womb. And so that was just one truth of many truths that I began to latch on to. And so the declaration is, you know what? I, I know I'm not worthy. Uh, you, you, God, you're the one who called me. You've manufactured my body. You made my personality. You gave me my gifts, talents, and abilities. God, it's all you. If, if that's what you want me to do, that's exactly what I will do. And so I went back to work the next week, and I looked at my dad and said, I just want you to know I'm quitting, and I'm going to college. And, and my dad was very, very upset over that because I was being groomed to be superintendent on jobs, and, and they'd invested, the company invested a lot of money in me in my, in my training and everything else. And, and he says, well, he, he claimed that I was being brainwashed. And I, just, it's, a lot of bad things ensued in that conversation that left us on some very um, uncertain terms. And, but I had, to, I had to stick to what, you know, I've become a new creation in Christ. Man, the old is gone. The new has come. Everything I need for what God is asking me to do, God has already instilled within me. I may have to, you know, bring it to the surface. I may have to hone it. I may have to work on it. I may have to sharpen it. But if this, God, if this is what God wants me to do, and I can, I can remember the very first time I walked onto a college campus and into my first college classroom and thinking, oh my gosh, what in the world have I got myself into? And so all the negative stuff comes back, right? Just come back, flooding, flooding, flooding. And so I had to, I had to, I had in my heart, I had to craft what I call truths of declaration. This is God's, this is what God's word says. And so I took God's word and I made it into statements. And we'll talk about this at length uh, when we get into that process and how to reframe things and how to make declarations that that begins to be cut the neural pathway in your brain so that that becomes your automatic default mechanism. Now, what if I had allowed this spirit of insignificance to fester in my heart? You know, I would have come home and thought, you know, well, my wife's not hanging on to my every word. What, what's up with this? I don't get it, you do realize my wife does not hang on to my every word when I preach, okay? You got that. She really doesn't. Um, so if, 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 I if the old Greg would have been in charge, I just like, I crumble, right? I'm, I'm no good. I'm not worthy. Nobody cares what you have to say. Nobody's listening. You know, on and on it goes. I'm just here to say, you can sit on the merry-go-round for the rest of your life and the way you are today is where your thoughts have brought you to. And you can look back forward, you know, get 10 years ahead, look back over the last 10 years and think, you know what? I'm on the same stinking merry-go-round. You don't have to be. You chose to be. God has given you everything to get off of it and to have the victory that Jesus came, the freedom that Christ came to give to you. And we're going to walk through this together 
and discover exactly how you do that. So your homework assignment is simply this. What is your strongest, biggest stronghold in your life? Start drilling down on that. Find out what is the lie that's driving that. Find some scripture that, that confronts that lie. And if you're having problems with that, call somebody. Call me, email me. I'll help you find scripture that confronts your lie. It is so, so important. I know I only glanced on the scripture today, but so, so important how you leverage that scripture against the evil one and how you formulate a declaration that is going to change the way you think that begins to dismantle the stronghold and take every thought captive to Christ so that it becomes natural and normal and it's like you don't even have to think about it anymore. It's just there. Let's pray together. Father, today we ask by the power of your name, by the power of your word, that you would renew our minds with truth and fill our mouths with declarations of that truth. Father, may you begin the process of renewing our minds. God, give us the faith to walk this journey with you, to stay off the old paths of lies and destruction, and God, that you might create new paths of truth, new paths of freedom. Lord, we need freedom. God, we know that we cannot do this on our own. We have no power source to do this on our own, but you have given us a power source called the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray, Father, Holy Spirit, that this week as people are identifying their biggest, strongest, most difficult stronghold, that you will help them, Holy Spirit, drill down to that principle of lie that is driving that stronghold and thus driving their thought processes, their feelings, and their behaviors. Holy Spirit, we know you have the ability to do that. And we, I just ask that, that you help them, help me as I'm continuing in this process on my own. Maybe you're here today and you, you have felt some distance from God. and This is the day that creates some new pathways that that can lead to the destruction of your strongholds. For those of you who are new to this process, I'm just telling you, it begins and it ends with Jesus. God has opened up heaven and given you access to his presence through his son, Jesus Christ. It's getting off the old sinful path and turning towards Jesus and surrendering your life to him. And if you've never done that, I encourage you, I beg you, you need to. That's the first step in this process is you need Christ. You need to be awakened. You need to move from death to life. You need to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You need to become a brand new creation in Christ. And God will download into you everything you need for this process. And I will help you over the next several weeks guide you through that process on how you can implement it how you can work out what God is working in you and having freedom from these strongholds that have plagued you for years. But Father, we lift up our hands in praise. We lift up our hands in praising the Lord Jesus who has come to set us free, to give us the truth. We know that the truth can set us free from these strongholds that have encapsulated our thought processes for years. Lord, I pray for new freedom over each person here today, everybody who's watching online. Lord, I pray that we will, 
we will taste of the Lord and know that, oh God, you are good and you are more pleasing than anything. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for your obedience to the cross. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for indwelling us, for sealing us into the day of redemption, for empowering us with resurrection power to walk in the freedom of Christ. Lord, this process that you're beginning, Lord, may there be just victory after victory. God, may we have just a time of testimony where people are saying, you know what? This stronghold's dropping off. This stronghold's dropping off. This stronghold has dropped off. I've got new freedom in Christ. I'm walking a new way of life. I'm thinking differently. I'm behaving differently. I'm feeling differently because of what Jesus has done for me. God, grant your people victory today. In the mighty name of Christ, we praise you. Amen.